Good morning. Welcome to all of you. It's so good to see you here. And we also give welcome to those who are watching via live stream. This is a beautiful day. And as we gather to worship, we hope that on this day, through the music and the prayer, the reading of scripture, the spoken word, that you will be drawn closer to the heart of our God. But we give you the warmest welcome. I want to say just a quick word about our speaker today, uh, someone I'm honored to call my personal friend and also a friend of this congregation. Ricardo Traveras has been with us here at Mayflower before, and we're so thankful that he would come and be with us today. Ricardo occupies a key place in ministry in our community. He is the executive director of New City Neighbors, a youth empowerment ministry that uh, engages in urban farming. And he tells me that they're having a wonderful summer in that ministry, maybe the best that they've ever had. He is also the lead pastor of Envivo Church. And if he doesn't have enough to do, he also now is serving as interim pastor of another congregation, Second Congregational Church of Grand Rapids. Ricardo is someone who's passionate about the intersection of the gospel and life and giving his life to enable young and old to be a part of engaging the gospel in the world that we live in today. Ricardo, uh, we are so glad and thankful that you would be with us today. And Rachel now comes with Good morning. For our next announcement, I would like to invite forward Eric, who is the scoutmaster of the Boy Scout Troop that meets here in Mayflower Scout Troop 271. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for allowing me to show back up and visit. Uh, long story short, grew up way up north of Mackinac Bridge, etc., Lived on a dairy farm, so there's a proverb I think of all the time. It's about a farmer who has multiple years of great crops, right? And then he gets so proud of himself, he forgets to understand why he had the great crops. So now he's going to build new, he's going to tear down all his uh, old stuff, build brand new stuff, and sit back and relax for the rest of his life, just hanging out. Well, that's not how life works. Certainly that's not how God works. And so in this community that we live in, in the churches that we serve, myself, I'm proud to be an Eagle Scout. Jackson here? Almost there. He's almost there. I'm sure he's going to be an Eagle Scout. But we always have to have a renewable product to service our community, service our churches, be a part of what our future is going to be. And I would say that I've probably done maybe up to 250 different Eagle Scout projects somewhere in the state of Michigan and in the U.P., and Jackson is going to participate in an Eagle Scout project here for your church making a Gaga pit. And at the end of service, Jackson will be outside waiting to talk to you and talk about the promise that he has. But I'm a single father, three kids, two beautiful girls, and a son, and I'm a teacher as well. And my whole emphasis on life is to help the youth as much as we can to reinforce because obviously our youth will become our leaders of tomorrow. So with your support and help today, we'll love to see you out there and talk about this phenomenal Eagle Scout project Jackson's going to work on. Thank you. 
Thank you, Eric and Jackson. <clears throat> so if you didn't catch it, Jackson's Eagle Scout project is to build a gaga pit on our property. And for those of you who don't know what a gaga pit is, you will have to go and ask Jackson. And the camping and kids, will we want a gaga pit here at Mayflower? Yes, we will. It's one of the very popular items on all grade school playgrounds these days. So we're very thankful for Jackson and we're very thankful for the scout troop that meets here every Thursday night. A few other announcements that we have this morning. Please sign the friendship registers that you find at the end of your aisles. And if you're online, please click I'm here and sign in as well. Prayer cards can be collect, will be collected during the second hymn today, and Pastor Steve will be up front available for personal prayer after the service. You should have, and if not, you will receive, see I have it in my papers, I don't, the August newsletter. And within the August newsletter, there is a letter from Pastor Sean. He will be here August 14th to deliver his first sermon. So we are so excited for he and his family to be a part of our congregation. A few other dates that are coming up of exciting new things in August. The parlor and small kitchen renovations are scheduled to begin August 17th. The AV and sound system, all the items have been purchased for that. And so we are like most everything else in the world today waiting for them to come in. We are hoping by mid-September that the audio AV system will be updated and replaced. We currently have the school drive for Potter's House that's mentioned in your bulletin going on for the next few weeks. If you are at Meyer or Target and see all those school supplies, we would appreciate you picking up a couple extras. And then also in your bulletin, you will see all the up groups are having events to host Sean and Sarah and their family and for opportunities for you to get to know them. So please take your bulletins home and look over all those announcements. And now I'd like to invite Julia up for a moment for music. This morning, we have Ben Sotsowski back with us. You may recognize him as Amal from our virtual Christmas cantata in 2020, Amal and the Night Visitors. And uh, he and Scott are both here as our cantors. And as I mentioned last week, cantor means uh, leader of the people's song. So they're here to help and encourage us to sing our parts uh, during the service. Um, and every so often when I find a hymn that's not in our hymnal but that seems to fit so perfectly with the message or the scripture, then we have an additional hymn um, inserted into the bulletin, and that's the case today. So our middle hymn um, is a text written by Michael Hudson, who is an Episcopal priest. He took a sabbatical and began a project of writing a hymn a week for three years. This would be a text that goes with the gospel reading of uh, for each Sunday. And what he writes in the preface of this book that has 153 new hymn texts, he says, 
The um, aim in doing this is to catch something of the genius of the gospel in a fresh and engaging way and to do it positively, broadly, and inclusively. And so the text that we will sing today is uh, subtitled, Jesus' Compassion for the 5,000. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 107. Come, let us give thanks to God who is good. For God's steadfast love redeems and restores. Come, we celebrate God's actions in the past and God's promises for the future. God acts in love for all creation. The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. Let us now rejoice in what God does and delight in God's love. Loving God, we do give you thanks for who you are and for what you do. We offer you our praise today, calling to mind the ways that you gather us in, provide for us and bring to us your light. Fill us with gratitude. 
Wash us with your grace and welcome us into your presence. And we praise you for your goodness and your steadfast love that never ends. Amen.
During this time in this service this summer, we have been doing the summer series, Did You Know?, regarding all the symbols here in our sanctuary. And I appreciate that so many of you are enjoying this and know that we're going to continue through August, and then at the end we'll make a pamphlet that will have all of that information in it so that you can each have that. And if you have more information, we would love to add that to it. So today I'm going to deviate a little since we had our scout troop here represented. And the did you know is going to be in regards to did you know what happens here during the week? Because our scout troop meets on Thursday nights. And if you have not been by the church on a Thursday night, you don't realize they fill the entire lower level of our church as well as our parking lot while they're out playing games. It's amazing to come by and be a part of that and see that. Did you know that every Tuesday, the staff meets at 9 o'clock for our weekly staff meeting? And after that, the worship team meets to determine the sermon series, the scripture, every song that is sung, and how it all connects together. So if you are ever led to pray for the staff here at Mayflower on a Tuesday, we would so appreciate that. During the fall, winter, and spring, there are five Bible studies that occur here at Mayflower, and people are welcome to join at any time during the year. Multiple groups from the outside also come and meet within our building. We currently have the West Michigan PEO group, the Parent Al-Anon group, Sisters of Faith, and we've even been able to host staff retreats for our outreach partners, such as New City Neighbors, at certain times. Mayflower's preschool has existed within this building since 1968. They began with 24 children and quickly after that increased to over 200 children that come here Monday through Friday throughout the school year. It is quite amazing. It has such a deep history that there is currently a teacher who was a preschool student as a child on staff. We are the only church, as far as I know, in Grand Rapids that begins offering children's choir at age three. And it's so fun to see our children grow, and as you all know, our music program and the history is so deep and so vast. The financial support that Mayflower receives allows for all of these things to occur within this building all week. The Mayflower steeple can be seen for miles. And due to your continued support and the membership of this church, our doors can continue to stay open and our outreach can be so far and so wide. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for the deep history of this building and all of the people that have been a part of it for so many years. We ask that your blessing fall upon us as we enter a new chapter May we continue to honor you in all that we do and how we love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. I know you were expecting Ellen Johnson up here this morning, and I can assure you there is nothing wrong with her. And she asked if I would consider to substitute for her today, and I'm happy to do so. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's uh, chapter 14, verses 13, 21. And we're dealing with the part where Jesus feeds 5,000. Starting on page 692, chapter, thir- chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat, privately to a solitary place. He hearing the crowd that followed him on foot in the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be at Mayflower again, delivering the word. I appreciate the welcome. Thank you so much. Um, yes, indeed, New City Neighbors is, uh, continues to be excited about the partnership that we have with uh, Mayflower Church and are so grateful. Um, our mission is empowering youth to reach their full potential, and so I think it's so appropriate that we had a couple of young folks leading us today or leading us a little later as well, and so I'm grateful to see that happening. Um, awesome work that God continues to do through young folks that have energy and passion. So for our scripture today, we just heard about Jesus feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness. I'd like to start out by talking about a, a Jesuit priest named Greg Boyle in relation to this scripture. So Greg Boyle is well known for his ministry to gang members. And his ministry concentrates in the prisons of the and Latino barrios of Los Angeles. And once he wrote of an experience he had ministering to men in Folsom prison. And from the beginning, the inmates said they wanted Father Boyle to teach them something, not just scripture, something a little more practical. They wanted something more tangible. And so... Being quick on his feet, he thought that he would teach a class on theological issues in American short fiction. And so after chapel between the concrete walls, about 15 men serving life sentences would gather around him to discuss short 
stories. So prisoners behind bars serving lifelong terms discussing short stories. You just take that picture in for a moment with me. So in one particular story that the prisoners are reading, a character, a grandmother in the story goes from, uh, she goes through an interesting transformation of ethos or disposition. And the prisoners begin to speak of this woman's transformation of character using three words interchangeably. They use the words sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And so Father Boyle asked the felons to define the terms. Let's talk about these words. He says, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. What are they? Well, sympathy, one begins, is that's, that's like when your homie's mom dies and you go up to him and you say, sorry to hear about your mom's, bro. And another prisoner quickly uh, jumps in to define empathy. And he says, yeah, well, empathy is when your homie's mom dies and you say, Spensa, sorry about your mom. Sabeske, you know what? My mom, she died six months ago. So I feel your pain, Holmes. And Father Boyle looks at them and says, excellent. Now what is compassion? And the room gets quiet. There are no takers. And the felons are squirming collectively, maybe staring down at their shoes. Come on now, Father Boyle says, compassion. What does it mean? And after another pause, one of the older prisoners who was already down for about 25 years in his sentence slowly raises a finger. Well now, he says, And all eyes are on him. Compassion, compassion, that's something different altogether. He takes a second to ponder what to say next. Because, he adds, that's what Jesus did. Compassion, I mean, compassion is God. Compassion is God. Chew on that statement with me for just a moment longer. Compassion is God. In the scripture we just heard, Jesus has withdrawn to a solitary place. And the people come from all over to find him. And scripture tells us that he has compassion on them. And the weight of that compassion, I believe, doesn't really hit you. At least it doesn't really hit me unless we take a moment to understand why Jesus has withdrawn to a solitary place to begin with. So in the verses before the ones we just read, we learn that John the Baptist has just been killed at the hands of Herod, murdered, beheaded. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, right? And perhaps more importantly, the forerunner to his ministry. And so John comes announcing repentance, 
announcing the kingdom of God at hand. And the people come to hear John's message. They come to see him in the Jordan, in the wilderness. They come and they are baptized in anticipation of God's kingdom. And Jesus himself comes to be baptized by John. And the water is running off of Jesus' body and his clothes. The sky breaks open. And the Holy Spirit descends on Christ like a dove. And a voice booms out from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. There are intimate moments that Jesus shares with John the Baptist. This among others. He's, just, he's not just a ministry colleague or a cousin. But he's also a friend. And now he's gone. Gone at the hands of a murderer taken from this world. And I wonder, and I want you to wonder with me, how Jesus must have felt withdrawing to that solitary place. How might you have felt How might you feel in the wake of that moment? And so Jesus withdraws, and the people still come. The people come from all over. Scripture says from different towns, and there are more than 5,000 people. 5,000 is just the number of men that are represented there. And they all gather at the shore while Jesus is yet in his boat. And as he approaches the shore, he gets out. See him wading in the shallow water getting wet. See him as he pulls the boat in. And maybe a couple of his disciples, I don't know, Peter, Andrew, Thomas, rush out into the water and take a hold of the boat and bring it in for him. And the rest of the disciples are perhaps standing off to the side, holding their breath in anticipation as they wait for Jesus to tell the crowd to go away or ignore them altogether so that they can be alone, so that Jesus and the disciples can process the loss of another great leader of Israel and a friend. But Jesus doesn't walk over to the disciples. No. He walks toward the people. And there they are with outstretched arms like toddlers reaching for him. Men, women, and little ones seeking a touch from their Messiah, their Savior, and he touches them. He restores the sight of the blind. He heals the sick. He blesses up the brokenhearted. He hugs the children. And I imagine he even gives them kisses. And the disciples must be extremely perplexed at their master's behavior, as they often are. Jesus, we're in the middle of the wilderness. We thought we came out here so that you could have some me time. You know, maybe some personal prayer time, maybe reflect a little bit, write in your journal, 
Get yourself together a little bit, Jesus. Take a break. But here come the people. Here they come again. Here come the sick. Here come the blind. Here come the lepers like they do all the time. And Jesus has compassion. He walks among them. He touches them. He speaks to them. He heals them. He laughs with them. He cries with them. And when the hour grows late, the disciples urge him, Teacher, enough. Send them home. Send them home so they can get something to eat. And the response Jesus gives them is maybe even more surprising than his actions of staying with the crowd. No, he says to the disciples, no, we're not sending these people home. You, you give them something to eat. And the disciples... (laughs) are probably looking at each other thinking, no way. Did he really just say that? Did he really? And one of them maybe stands up and says, that's impossible, and they start doing some quick math. It would take about eight months' wages to give these people something to eat. And so they're discussing amongst themselves, come on, come on now. We're the broken, we're the tired, we're the weary. We don't even have enough to help ourselves. How are we supposed to do anything for them? And one of them brings forth a little boy with his little fisherman's lunch. All we have here are these two little fish. He was probably more angry than that. So all all we have here are two stinky little fish, Jesus. Two stanky fish. And five loaves of bread. We don't have enough, Jesus. We simply don't have enough. So when is enough enough anyway? If we're honest with ourselves, we want to know, okay, God. Sometimes we want to know, when is my time coming? When is it my turn to receive Sometimes things have gone out of control in our homes or in our jobs or in our communities. Maybe we're losing the handle on our families. Maybe health is on the wire. And in the midst of all of that, you still want me to give something, God. You still want me to give, really. You still want me to pray for sister so-and-so and and brother so-and-so. But who, God, is going to help me? Who's going to be there for me? We want our turn to receive, right? And why not? We rationalize our thoughts with the voice in our head. I need my own space. I can't save everyone. I have to take care of my own family. I have my own bills to pay. I need my own personal prayer time. God, send them to someone else. Send them away. Put them in the path of someone else who can help them, O Lord. Send them to the pastor. Send them to Steve or Rachel. I've had enough. Deb, who's a friend of mine, is a sister who I would say has a powerful prayer life. When she prays, things really do seem to change. And so it's not uncommon for her to receive phone calls for those with prayer requests, just hoping for someone to pray with them over the phone. 
And she responds to that willingly and gracefully. However, a few years ago, Deb suffered a series of unfortunate events in her life. She was in a car accident not once or twice, but three times consecutively. And in the end, she was left with a serious handicap. The disc in her spinal cords had shifted just enough out of place that though she still had the ability to walk, she was in a state of perpetual shooting pain. Her shoulders are in need of tissue repair, and the pain together manifested itself in different ways, mostly in what she described as lightning shocks that would shoot from her toes up her back, often leaving her paralyzed for several moments. And with this situation, she's unable to work for an income. She's unable to take care of herself. She's left at the mercy of a daily helper to do basic chores and tasks around her home. And someone who has been isolated for her family or truly rejected, no one even seems to come by regularly enough, even with a cup of soup, to help her out. And then her mother passes away. And she begins to make phone calls to other people asking for prayer, asking for help, asking for a touch of love. And no one is answering the phone for her, but yet the phone calls continue to pour in for prayer requests for her to pray for other people. And she's come to the point where she has, she feels, nothing left to give. Then another friend, Shelley, shares with me her frustrations about the neighborhood she lives in. She feels called to be where she is, but is constantly witnessing certain dysfunction in the homes around her. There's some drug activity. And it's not uncommon for her to hear unprompted racial slurs and vulgar language hurled at her just from being outside on her front yard. And she feels yet that God has called her to be a light and witness where she is. But after several years of living there and seeing no visible change, no positive interactions, I hear it in her voice that she's tired of reaching out. She's tired of seeing the faces of her neighbors come to her when she kneels on her floor by her bed to pray. And she asks herself out loud, will there be enough compassion within her to withstand the test? And we read here that Jesus tells the disciples to give the people something to eat. And they are being tested. Jesus knows exactly what he's about to do. Jesus wants them to know their own response. What will you say? What will you do? So bring them here to me, the words of Christ. And they brought him the fish and the bread, and he directs the people to huddle in groups and sit on the grass. They're getting ready to have a regular picnic. A silence covers the multitude of thousands as Jesus lifts the first loaf of bread into the air and gives thanks. Jesus asks for baskets to be brought forward. He breaks the bread, and he begins to pull pieces from a single loaf. And he begins to fill the basket, and he's pulling pieces yet from the single loaf of bread. And the basket is full, and another basket comes forth, and that loaf is still going, still going, still going. And Jesus just keeps 
breaking the bread. And I can only imagine the look on the disciples' faces as they watch, as he's still going, as the baskets continue yet to get full. And Jesus directs the disciples to go out and start giving the bread to the people. Start in the back and make your way to the front. And so the groups begin to have food together. They begin to eat and have fellowship as they sit in circles with one another, perhaps telling jokes and stories and singing songs as they eat this sweet, sweet bread. And they are being satisfied in the middle of a wilderness place. And their healing is coming through Jesus, through the bread given to the disciples. And when he is done breaking the bread, there are 12 baskets yet left over. 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus becomes their provider in the middle of that wilderness place. And you see, the thing about it is, is that there's not only enough there for the disciples and all the people, but with 12 baskets left over, there was even enough for those who are yet to come. And so I'm sure the disciples learned an important lesson that day. And I think we can too, with our words or our actions, our mediocre version of compassion, there would not be enough to even satisfy ourselves. But in the hands of Christ, our, comp- our little compassion becomes so much more because Christ gives the abundance. In our weakest hour, Christ is still the Son of the living God. Christ gives the bread that sustains the strong and gives life to the weary. His grace overwhelms us because He is the bread. He says to us, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. And there is enough for you, there is enough for me. And His compassion extends to the entire body of believers, those here and those yet to come. Praise God Almighty that we are not left to ourselves. But God pours into us and enables us to pour into others. And Christ is the never-ending bread that keeps us satisfied. And with Christ we have the grace to do what we feel is impossible to endure. I'll close with this. Several years ago I had the opportunity to go to a conference in Indianapolis where there were nearly 2,000 Christian workers who had dedicated their lives to serving an urban ministry through churches and through nonprofits, engaging in the work of empowering their neighbors and sharing their gospel through concrete action. And they had come together to encourage one another and be encouraged in the ministry that God had called them to. And on the final day of this conference, it's a Sunday morning, And it's in the program to have worship and communion. And somehow I I get drafted to, to help serve communion and be a part of the worship service. And so I do. And when the time comes for communion, I'm standing in the front 
a friend next to me is holding the juice and I'm holding the bread. And people are invited to come and participate at God's table. And at first I'm focused on each individual as they come up. And listen, I'm just going to tell you and confess that the line was pretty long. Like I said, there was about 2,000 people there. And I'm just as human as anyone else. I know you see me up here preaching wearing a tie and a suit. I'd rather be wearing shorts. And so at some point, I'm just like, man, how long is this going to take? And so I just kind of poke my head to the left to look down the line and and just see how many more people are there. How many more people are coming up to get this bread? And as I look down the line for a moment, what I see blesses the inner core of my being. There's a line of folks from across the nation. There are even some international attendees there. There were white, tan, and dark skin. There was hair that was black, blonde, purple, red, blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes, old, young, and younger. And I took note that some of them, as they were approaching the front, were laughing and catching up with those who were standing in line with them, just enjoying the moment. And others were so moved by the worship service The tears were flowing from their eyes and streaming down their cheeks, down into their clothes or in their beards. And as I'm watching, I hear the Spirit of God say that they shall hunger no more, and neither shall they thirst. Come, This bread is for us. This gift is for us. Come all who are tired. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. That Christ is the one that gives us sustenance that is broken for us. And we can all eat and know that we will be satisfied. God tells us to come, that there's a seat for us at the table, and none of us in the presence of God are slaves, strangers, or stepchildren in God's presence. We see Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, and we see our brother. We see the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth, and his body that is broken for us and continues to bid us all to come, welcoming all of us. And he says, those who eat of me will live because of me. Those who eat this bread will live forever. So come and taste the grace and compassion of the living God. Come and see that compassion is God. Amen.
the definitions of call used as a verb are to cry out, shout, yell, bellow, whoop, or roar. This segment of our service is titled Call to Offering. Sitting within our pews on a Sunday morning, we are quiet and we are private with our offerings. But what if in heaven, every time we make an offering of our time, our talents, and our treasures with the heart of God in mind, there's an eruption of shouts and bellows and roars of praise. I could see that, can't you? May our offerings this morning and throughout the week be met with shouts of joy throughout heaven and within our hearts.
Lord, we thank you for this time that is set apart to give to you. May we live each day with the intention of offering all that we are to you and the world around us. Instill in us the faith that heaven rejoices at the beauty of a life lived in service and love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let us continue to worship as we come to God in prayer. God, our creator and redeemer, may we live today in conscious awareness of your presence and of our need for mercy and grace. Allow us today to hold all that we have in trust as we move through our life. We recommit to you our strength of mind and body, all that we possess and all that we influence. May we give to you as a living sacrifice our body and soul and heart and mind. Be in our words, our thoughts, our work. May our lives today be an instrument of your peace. May your will be done in our world today. And may our lives be the channel through which your love flows out to others. And so may we follow the one who gave his life for the redemption of humanity who gave no thought for ease or comfort, but filled each moment with deeds of self-denying love. We pray, Lord, for this congregation, for those present here and those who are not here this day. May your hand be upon each one, And as we receive the compassion of our Savior, may we compassionately give our love to others. For those who struggle with loss and pain, for those who experience each day with physical difficulties, challenges, constant pain, For those who are at a crossroads in life and know not which way to go. To those who felt the sting of rejection. For those who are reaching for something solid to hold on to. Oh Lord, be to us a shelter. May we take upon ourselves the yoke of Christ, tender and easy. And may we live faithfully as we sojourn, embracing the life that you and grace give to us. 
And as we continue to pray, we pray now the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The compassion of God and the mercy of God falls on us new day after day. 
And as the Lord continues to turn his face toward you over and over and over again, go in the grace of God to serve one another and to serve the world.